Hello, my name is Miriam and I'm going to be reading the Bible tonight. We're going to be reading from Psalm chapter 96. And if you're reading from one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 483. So we're going to be reading from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Thanks, Miriam, and uh, lovely to see uh, all of you here tonight. We do start the series, uh, Go to See Lives Transformed. And tonight's theme is Go for He is Worthy. And so we want to begin right at the beginning, the ultimate reason, the primary reason why we go to other people with the good news of Jesus. And that's our theme tonight. Many of you all have heard of John Dixon, uh, an Anglican uh, leader in Sydney, now working in America. He's written books, uh, he's defended the gospel, he's preached the gospel, and uh, he has a book called The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission. And uh, he describes in that book a situation where he was having coffee with a friend um, at a local beach and he was describing to his friend uh, what their local church was doing when he was in Sydney, what they were doing to reach people with the good news of Jesus, how to go and to help people's lives be changed for them to meet Jesus. And he noticed there was another woman just by the side on another table at the cafe listening intently to what he was saying. He assumed maybe she was interested because she was a Christian and was excited that uh, they were talking about reaching the world for Jesus. But then uh, at the end of her coffee, she stood up, went over, she paid her bill, walked straight across to John Dixon and his mate sitting at the coffee table and shouted at the top of her voice, so you want to convert the world, do you? How dare you? And off she stormed. At that point, I realized John Dixon says that she probably wasn't a Christian. (laughs) And I thought of the perfect comeback about an hour later. That's normally right, isn't it? We've had an argument and you know the comeback an hour later. At that time, I was dumbfounded. For a moment, I even wondered, maybe our mission is presumptuous. Perhaps promoting the news about Christ is the stuff of fanaticism rather than a reasoned modern faith. Says, I'm sure many of us at times have wondered similar things. The rhetoric of the world, which insists you keep your faith to yourself, is powerful and sometimes leaves us cringing at the thought 
of getting overly active in God's mission to convert the world. End of quote. So I ask the question, and you'll discuss um, what John Dixon has to say in your home groups this week to see what answer you would have come up with. Why should we reach out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ? Why should we go and disrupt other people's lives? Because let me tell you, when you take the gospel to someone who is living for another God, who is living for materialism, who is living for pleasure, living for something else, when you take the message of God's love and forgiveness, the message of repentance and sin and the need to turn from sin, of a, sac- of a saviour who dies on a cross for you, you disrupt their lives. You cause confusion and agitation in their lives. And sometimes they'll say, don't talk to me. I don't want to know. Keep the religious stuff away from me. Because they don't want to be disrupted in any way. Why disrupt lives? Why call Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or atheists or agnostics to repent and believe in Christ? Why go to indigenous communities in Australia or Vietnamese communities or Indian communities with the good news of Jesus? Why go? The ultimate reason is this, because God is the one true God and deserves all the glory. And when you know God is the one true God who deserves worship and glory, it is your desire to have all people, your friends, your neighbours, your family members, see the glory of Jesus, the glory of the Father, the glory of the Spirit, and worship God. In fact, God is working to showcase his glory and his mercy so that all will worship him. So the first point I want to make tonight coming out of Psalm 96 is this. We go, for there is only one true God who deserves the glory. And we are called to declare his glory among the nations. And we sang a new song tonight that really comes out of these texts. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. There's a joyfulness in what Christians are called to do. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. You're praising him because he is good and righteous, but also he brings salvation. He transforms lives. Declare his glory, not simply amongst yourselves, not simply within your little community. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all people. Our God does marvellous deeds, love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and bringing eternal life. You see, he does so much good that we want all peoples to hear about it. And friends, if I were to take you to the first century when people gathered, when Jesus was preaching... And people gather at the temple. There's a court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, were invited in to hear the message of God's love and God's truth. And they would listen in to what God was saying. And the reason they do it is because there is no other Lord of the nations, no other creator of the universe. It describes in verse 4, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Listen to what comes next. For all the gods of the nations are idols. They're not true gods. They're made-up gods. They should not be worshipped. They are idols. But the Lord, Yahweh, Israel's God, made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11, going to the last book of the, of the Bible, you get a similar thought. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour. And power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is creator, God is sovereign, there is only one God, 
and we want to see all men and women worship him. John Dixon writes, monotheism and missions are intimately related. The existence of just one God makes our mission to the many essential. That's why there is a mission to the nations. And then in verse 7 in this psalm, you notice there's a call to the nations, the outsiders, to worship. And maybe tonight you're one of these outsiders. You think, oh, I'm just visiting church, not quite sure about this God person and his son Jesus. I'm just listening in. And you're like the people that this psalm is speaking to. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, will you? See his glory, come to him. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Come on, you're welcome. Everyone's welcome to worship the true God. No one's excluded. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So among the nations, the Lord reigns. He's in control. He's sovereign. He is king. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God reigns as king. Let's start right at the beginning. If we're going to understand where we're going in the next seven weeks, start at the beginning. God is king. He deserves the glory. He is holy and we tremble before him. The only right response of every human being is to worship and glorify God. I remember being at Riverwood Shops a little while ago and uh, I was just having a coffee with a friend and on the table next to me, people were talking about Jesus. And you know, at that point, other people were worshiping Jesus. It just lifted my heart and my spirit. Does it do that for you? When you turn up, you go, wow. They're loving Jesus too, or they're loving Jesus. Or I watch someone evangelizing or sharing the good news with with someone else, and you think, go for it, brother or sister. Keep doing it. Keep going, because there's one true God, and there's joy in that. Friends, this is not the only reason for promoting the gospel. We'll look at many reasons. God's love, his mercy, his grace, our need of forgiveness, his coming judgment. Now, his coming judgment is really significant. It comes out in Psalm 96. If all of us are going to be judged by the God of the universe then we want men and women to be ready for that judgment. We want them to meet God forgiven rather than unforgiven. We want men and women to meet God at peace with God through faith in Jesus because we don't want them to be lost forever. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God is coming to judge fairly. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. All of creation now is rejoicing. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest, let them sing for joy. Let the creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world, how? In righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Last period of time, uh, not unusual for pastors and leaders to be taking funerals. And um, got another two in the next week that I'll be leading. Um, but we need to remember that we live a certain amount of time on this earth. And one day, whether at 20 or 40 or 60 or 80 or 100, we will meet God and be judged by him. You want to be ready for that. Following a funeral, a man asked the pastor, it was in relation to a wealthy woman. How much did she leave, Pastor? To which he said she left everything they always do. Right? doesn't matter how much you have, how many toys you have, how many boats you have, what your salary is, what your credentials are. You leave everything and you meet a holy God. Friends, today, right across the globe, men and women, boys and girls are dying unforgiven. 
That's why we're called to go to the nations. That's why Jesus sent us out with good news. That's why we're called to disrupt the lives of others with good news. About 15 years ago, uh, I remember this distinctly, there was a woman in our church who was committed to follow of Jesus. It was a joy to take her funeral. We declared the gospel. Most of her uh, relatives were uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, so I was extremely glad to present the gospel at that service. And then at her burial site, able to do that. And there's a woman who knew Jesus, was at peace with Jesus, and she meets Jesus at Judgment Day Forgiven. But the following week, I attended a family funeral. It was an uncle of mine, and he had died at 73 of a massive stroke. And it was interesting watching what the priest had to say at the service. The priest said, I didn't know the man very much. I knew his wife. She came to church. She was religious. She did many good things. So I guess if his wife was good, he must have been a good man too. And somehow he was trying to give us confidence and hope that this man would be with Jesus because his wife was good. Let me say it doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter who in your family is good. It has nothing to do with your goodness, firstly. But secondly, someone else's goodness doesn't get credited to you except Jesus' goodness and Jesus' perfection gets credited to you when you receive his love and his forgiveness and then God sees you as perfect. In his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, John Piper writes, his powerful book on world mission, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. You won't have to go anymore. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. That's why Psalm 67, verse 3 and 4 says, May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. When you worship the one true God, you know what you get? You get forgiveness. You get relationship with God. You get joy. You get the ultimate joy offered to you by God. But the second thing, we're moving from Psalm 96 to a whole bunch of other texts. You'll notice in your outline, if you have it, I've just listed a bunch of texts that I'm going to refer to right now in this second point. Go, and there's going to be a word that I never knew existed beforehand in, in the heading. Go because of the absolute worshipability of Jesus Christ, which means, I googled it, it means that Jesus is worthy of worship. Go because of the absolute worthiness of Christ. He's worthy of being worshipped by us. And uh, Michael Bird there is an Anglican minister and theologian. He's the vice principal of the Anglican College in Melbourne called Ridley College. He's a prolific writer, he writes commentaries, he writes book on uh, historical matters about Jesus, and I recently subscribed to his daily emails, listen to what it's called, it's the word from the bird, I love that. And uh, I get an email most days, at the end of the week he summarises, but he writes it in a very powerful way, and compelling way, and I, I've, I've been really uh, moved by what he's had to say, and instructed, and, and, and grown in that. And a few weeks ago, he, he wrote on why I became a Christian. And then a couple of weeks later, I read that, and then he said, why I am still a Christian. He wrote it, and he, he sets, sets it up in this way. In Australia, as in other places, we live in an increasingly post-Christian world. Not post-religious. I think politics is becoming the new religion. 
but you get my points. Whether it was iPhone, COVID or abusive pastors, church attendance is declining in many places. The fastest growing religious group in the West are the nuns, not the nuns with the habits, the other nuns, N-O-N-E-S, or the de-churched, the de-churched. The church where I became a Christian has now closed, he says. Seminary or theological education in America and Australia has declined by about 30% since 2015. Our numbers at Moreland College have gone down over the last five years. SNBC, they've gone down over the last five years. Right across the Western world, theological seminaries have been shut down. Property sold since 2015. There's a massive shortage of pastors and priests in most Australian cities. Says so the Australian Defence Force can't get enough and are replacing chaplains with well-being officers. I think it's happening in schools too. The evangelical golden age of the 1990s has well and truly gone. It says we live in a society now in the Western world more like London in the 1720s or France in the 1820s. Society is divided and decadent and the church is regarded as deceitful, decrepit and defunct. The Christian community may pray for revival. They will probably struggle for survival in the Anglophone world toward the end of the 21st century. So why remain a Christian in an age of atheism and apathy? And I ask, why go to tell others about Jesus if that is what is happening? And he goes to list 13 quick points on why Jesus is still worthy of our worship, even though some others are rejecting him. Let's quickly pump these out. And I want to encourage you to go home later and read these texts and, and fill your mind with these biblical truths to sustain you, to keep you going. He says, I'm still a Christian because Jesus loves me and gave himself for me by bearing my sin on the cross and taking away the penalty that was due to me for my wickedness. He said, I see my wickedness and I know that Jesus died for me. comes up in Romans 5, 8 and 9 where Jesus dies for us. You have that on, on the screen there. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Or 1 Peter 3, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Secondly, because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, treated its shame with scorn to make us God's children, he says. He's quoting uh, Hebrews 12 there. By the way, I've just added all these verses. He doesn't have them in his letter. I just thought I'd throw in some Bible verses to see where, where he gets his teaching from, his points from. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know the joy that Jesus got? The joy was in saving us. Despite his suffering, despite his crucifixion, he said, I'm going to go through this because I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to do it. I won't care if I get shamed in the society. I won't care if they think I'm a criminal, that I deserve to die on a cross. I'm going to go through it because I love you. And by going through it, I'm going to draw you into my family. He came to that, that which was his own, John 1 says, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, that's us, brothers and sisters, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We are supernaturally reborn. We are born again. We are born from above. We are born anew by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am still a Christian today because we are justified by faith. We have peace with God 
and are freed forever from condemnation. You're ready to meet your judge on the final day because of the work of Jesus. That's why he's worthy of being worshipped. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. By faith, we now, in a place of grace, we are enjoying God's favour. Why would you want to give that up, he says? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit has given us Given life, has given us life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation from God. Fourthly, because Jesus brings us the love of the Father and grants us the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm still a Christian, he says. See how great the Father has loved, a great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. At one time we were enemies. At one time we were children of the evil one, Satan the devil. Now we are children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And sometimes you'll feel like the world doesn't accept you, doesn't value who you are. Because they don't know Jesus. They don't understand who we are. Their life has not yet been disrupted by the Holy Spirit for them to see the truth of the gospel. They don't get you. That's okay. They don't have to get you. God gets you. He knows you. And in his mercy and his time, he may draw your friends into his kingdom. And he'll do it by the power of the Spirit as you proclaim the gospel. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then he says, I'm still a Christian because Jesus' power is immeasurable his compassion unsurpassable, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Because his reign is eternal, his justice is inescapable, he's not safe, but he's good. Take, sit for a moment with that one. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, right across the Western world, the increase in anxiety and stress and depression and hopelessness. And Jesus says, I get you, I understand. Come to me, I will give you that rest. I will give you that sense of peace that you're looking for. Because that's the type of God I am. He's not safe, but he's good, Mike Bird says. What's he mean? Well, it's not safe. After this service, we're going to hear about two people who serve Christ in North Africa, in a Muslim country. It's not safe to take the gospel to some places of the world. You may lose your life. You may lose your, your income. You may lose your house. It's not always safe. You may lose reputation at your school or your university. You may be mocked by a lecturer when you start uni. Get ready for it. It's not always safe, but he's good because we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's our confidence. God can work in all things, even the evil things that people want to do against us. God can work those for our good. And the good is making us like Jesus conforming us into the image of his son. As Jesus suffered, we too suffer and we become more like him. Further, why am I still a Christian, he says, because Jesus has the words of eternal life and no one else does. Friends, in John chapter 6, 
It's a bit like today for some Christians who are deconstructing their faith or leaving the faith. It's been happening ever since the church started. It's not a new thing. Right? And some of the, Jesus was preaching and some of the disciples didn't get it, some of the followers, so they left. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So the, the disciples weren't authentic. They were just following and listening in, the followers, and all of a sudden they went, no, that's, that's nuts. We're not following you anymore. We're leaving. We'll go and find another rabbi, another teacher to follow. And Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Why follow him? Because Jesus intends to build his church to create a forgiven family and the doors of death will not breach it. Friends, we can go with confidence to see life transform and know that God goes before us, God goes with us, and God goes after us to bring people into his kingdom and to build his church. I will build my church, he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Nothing can stop Jesus building his church across the globe. There may be a few less Westerners in the church for a period, and then God may turn it again. There are people, millions of people coming to Christ in Africa and Asia and South America and other places. The West may be deteriorating in faith, but God is building his church. And it doesn't matter how many leave the faith or deconstruct their beliefs, Christ will achieve what he's promised. So a Christian, he says, because the world is cold, brutal and dark and Jesus and his church at their best are a light in that darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness or have the light of life. Jesus is the light. And then he says to us, not only am I the light, but you are the light of the world. You see, as I am the light, I want you Christians to be the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. It has no impact. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, brothers and sisters, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When you love people, when you visit them, when you take them a meal, when you care for them when no one else does, when you listen to their complaints and their struggles, when you love people, when you give to, to sponsor kids overseas, whatever it happens to be, when you show, demonstrate good works, people will think, why did you do that? And you point them to the glory of Jesus. Why is he still a Christian? He says, because Jesus breaks the boundaries of race and ethnicity, sex and gender, nationality and ideology, and one, makes one people out of many in a way that no institution or organisation ever replicates or competes with. Even looking across the congregation tonight, and I did it through all the congregations, men and women from every nation of the earth have gathered, and in Christ we are one, men and women, born overseas or born in Australia, rich or poor, we are one in Christ. Listen to this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have been clothed, clothed yourselves with Christ. Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every single person matters. We are all unique and yet deeply loved by God and deeply valuable to God. Why? Because in a world where men and women ebb between the torments of life and the terror of death, Jesus is the life and has a love so powerful that even death cannot stop it. I'm the resurrection and the life, he said. 
The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Friends, that is why our funerals are filled with joy as well as grief. He goes on, because Jesus is my righteousness, my holiness and my redemption. His only hope is Jesus. Why wouldn't you worship him? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. Because Jesus is a healer to the sick. He is comfort to the grieving. He is peace to the afflicted. Because the weak find their champion in him, their champion, and the powerful discover him, their conqueror. Someone said, I had nowhere else to turn. And I turned to God and I found hope and peace. Someone said to me the other day, I don't know how people cope in the death of a loved one at whatever age if they don't know Christ who brings comfort in the midst of your grief. And finally he says, because he is and will be forever the man Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Lord, the exalted human over the cosmos, and where he is, he has promised we too shall be. He said, I keep worshipping Jesus, his Lord over all. You know, Philippians says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. He said, why wouldn't I worship him? And he wants us to be with him. He promised that we too shall be with him. And again, on Friday this week, and again, next Tuesday, we'll be reading these verses, John 14, at two funeral services. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The late Billy Graham and, uh, had a fabulous quote about his approaching death. And we often use it at the funerals as well. He said something like this, and I haven't written it down. He said, one day you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I will simply have changed the dress, he said. I'll be now in the presence of Jesus. I'll be more alive than I've ever been. The resurrected Jesus invites us to come to him and to share eternity with him. Mike Bird concludes his article that day. Why am I still a Christian? Because for 25 years I have served him and my master has done me no wrong. And that is why I worship him. He writes, everybody worships. We worship what we desire and we become what we worship. In Jesus we encounter God for us, the God-man who is worthy of our worship, a worship that disciplines our desires, and Jesus deserves our adoration as much as our imitation. Jesus was, is, and will forever remain worthy of my worship. As I conclude, let me say, Jesus is worthy of our worship, and we go, for he is worthy of everyone's worship. Let me pray. Lord God, we come to you as a God of compassion and mercy who brings hope and life to each one of us when we put our faith in you. Lord, we thank you that this message is not simply for ourselves. It's for the nations of the earth. It's for the people of Nawi and Picas and Logano and Wattle Grove and Penshurst and all of Sydney and all of Australia and all of the globe. May we worship you 
with our whole hearts, with our whole lives, honour you, lift you up, and sir, be moved by your spirit that we would desire to see others worship you as well. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.